Uh, we are in Luke chapter 18 today. If you haven't seen that in your bulletin, I think I got it right this time. I know I left it out when Adam was preaching recently, but there. So head, head that way, Luke chapter 18. Um, Jesus is still in a public space, so there are all sorts of people hearing him, but his focus, his direction is to speak to his disciples at this moment. So that's, that's who his audience here is. Uh, and, and today is a really interesting parable when we, when we get into it. It's the one that's commonly pre- referred to as uh, the persistent widow, and it's all going to make sense as we read it. And so let's just jump in and, and read it. Uh, so Luke chapter 18, follow along, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the righteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Mighty and merciful Father, please clear our minds, focus our hearts this morning from whatever has us frustrated or annoyed or worried or distracted, whatever it might be, so that we might be present here this morning in in body, be present in mind, seeking to, to learn from the words of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and please, Lord, give me the mercy needed to proclaim your holy word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a, a rapper from Seattle known as Peabod. Anyone's ever heard of him? He's not real popular, right? He's, he's mostly happy rap, uh, 90s references, you know, Nintendo and things like that. Uh, our family kind of loves the guy, though he doesn't know that we exist yet. We'll probably stalk him at some point. Uh, Earlier this week, he released this, this new song, and, and this song is not really his style because it begins a little less happy. Uh, it's called Heavenly Father, and it says this. It sounds better when he says it. I probably should have Stucky come read this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, but it, it starts out with, uh, I've been cynical about the way the world works. Taking it to heart now, I'm tired and my soul hurts. I want to talk to God, but I can't find the words. And if I find them, I get scared they might not get heard. I wonder if that's not a big reason that many of us struggle to pray as often or as deeply as we wish was the case, right? I wonder if that's not a big part of it. We just fear or we feel that our prayers are not heard because we don't always see them answered as quickly or exactly the way we want them to, and it can be really disappointing real quick. And I wonder, you know, is, is that what it is for you, is that why your prayer life might struggle? Is it? Because I, I bet you know you should pray, right? There's, there's very few of us, no matter how much or little you've been around Christians, you, you kind of know you should. So it's, it's not really, ignorance is not the reason we don't pray. 
We, we, we may believe we, we don't have time to pray, but we all know that's, that's really a lame excuse since we can do it while jogging or sitting in the car waiting for the light to turn or, you know, waiting for anything to happen. It's certainly not an issue of time. Maybe we've just come to functionally confess something that we would never verbally confess, and, and that's this, that, that God, this idea that God is just indifferent to us in our world, and that if we really want to see any change happen, any progress, any real solutions, if we want to see justice, we, we must do it ourselves apart from God. You and I both know that's not right thinking, but it may be our thinking, our thinking at times. The Peabody song comes around beautifully, in case you're wondering. I know you're sitting on the edge of your seat. Uh, because as, as we, the listener, continue to hear it, you, you realize that at some point, the song itself turns into a prayer. It transitions to that. And we see that he's trusting our Heavenly Father with all these struggles. In other words, his, his prayer shows that indeed he really does trust God. He really does believe God hears him. All his fears at the beginning, he's come around through prayer to, to see his reality or to see that God really does hear him. And, and, and so then the, the, the parable, and this is the connection, the parable that we've just read, it's, it's ultimately about prayer. That's what it's about. And, and remember, Jesus tells this parable. Everything is in this context. And, and unfortunately, when we're preaching through the word, we, we sometimes chop it up. And, and either you weren't here last week or you have no idea what we actually, you can't remember what was happening last week. And, and so I do want to remind you, we've got to always come to the scripture and view it within the context that it is. And so if we, if we want to under, understand it, we have to begin by asking, what, why does Jesus tell this story? And, and why does Jesus tell this story at this moment, at this time? And, and so, well, remember, before this parable, Jesus has just told us uh, about suffering that, that he's going to endure once he gets to Jerusalem, right? They don't know all the details, but we know it's going to be the cross and the trial and, and all that. And he's told us that after a long period of time, he's going to return, the second coming of Jesus. It's going to be very suddenly. It's going to be very obvious. And he compared it to two things of judgment, right? Lot's wife and, and the judgment that came quickly and, and immediately. Uh, and, and also to those who were outside the ark when, when Noah comes, or when Noah gets in the ark. And, and so we can begin to see then that within this context that, that Jesus is telling this parable, he, he's doing it because his disciples then and his disciples now, we, we all live in this time period, right? We, we often call it the already, not yet, we talked about last week, but it's this time period between the ascension of Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus is going to come and judge the world in, in power and there's going to be ultimate cosmic justice, and, 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 and between the time when, when Jesus was ascended, that's where we live. And, and, and you think about the specific disciples that he's talking to right here. They're going to be victim of all sorts of injustice in their life. They're going to be so incredibly discouraged when they start to see what happens to those who follow Jesus. And, and so then in verse, verse 1, Jesus just comes out and he tells them, here's the point of the parable. You don't usually get it up front when Jesus tells parables. Sometimes you never get the explanation at all. But he says there, there's two things that he wants from this parable. And the first is that we continue to pray even when we're frustrated by injustice. And the second is that we do not lose heart. That we do not lose heart. As I've already suggested, many of us need the encouragement because we don't always pray and, or it's not a significant part of our life because, and, and because of that, we often do lose heart. The scriptures are chock full of calls for God's people to pray, to, to speak to God, but none is more clear or more succinct maybe than 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Anyone know what that actually says? Pray without ceasing, Right? 
endlessly. I, I was in high school when I first heard that. And I thought it literally meant, meant constantly pray, always praying, nonstop, every, every single moment of every day. Um, and not long after that, I read a book by Brother Lawrence, the 17th century monk, who does just that. He prays, talking out loud to God as he's cooking dinner and walking in the woods and throwing rocks at things. Everything he does, he's, he's doing it out loud. And I thought, well, I just, I don't have time for that, uh, was kind of the thought. And, 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 and here's the thing, it's, it's, it's not this idea that you never do anything, that you're always constantly in prayer. Uh, what it's really getting at, what it means is that we are to keep the habit of praying. To keep the habit of praying, to be praying people, that we, that we talk to God in prayer on many occasions during the day as, as things do go on. Maybe not every single moment, although more power to you if you want to, but that we, have, we are people that make a habit of praying. And, and again, Jesus wants us to pray for a reason, that we do not lose hearts. And you probably saw it, but there's something kind of circular in what Jesus is saying here. The reason that we often lose hearts is because we do not pray. And the reason that we often stop praying is because we've lost heart. We've become discouraged and hopeless. You know this. You've experienced this, I imagine. You, you pray for your friend that's in a coma to be healed, to come out of it, to be fine. And it doesn't happen. He doesn't wake up. You ask God to provide a job so you can provide for your family or, your, or the needs that you have and, and you remain out of work month after month after month and then something comes up and you think this is it, this is what God's been doing and then he doesn't do it the way you think. Or maybe you plead with God to, to give faith to your Uncle Leroy, right? And years and years have gone by and you look at Leroy and you think he's even further, far less likely to believe in Jesus than he used to be, at least in your opinion. Or, or, or like the parable here, right? Something unjust occurs to you and your prayers for justice do not bring about justice. And you wonder, what's even the point of this? What's the point? The disciples who first heard this were likely to lose heart because they were going to witness Jesus being beaten put through an unfair trial, and killed on a cross. These are the same people they are going to watch Stephen, right? One of, one of the followers of Christ, one of his disciples, is going to see him stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus. These were people that were going to be scattered and live in fear for their life. They, they were going to live under Emperor Nero, who, who at the time considered killing Christians just sport, right? Like, like hunting today, and it even burned Christians' bodies in his garden as to use them as torches. These are the kind of things that we're going to witness and experience. And, and while we've had it pretty easy in America, considering being a Christian doesn't mean life is smooth sailing, there are so many things that can cause us to lose heart. The story Jesus tells here, the parable is pretty simple. There's only two characters, right? Really simple. There's a judge who's a terrible judge. I know if I'm going to court, this is not the judge I want, unless I'm guilty, then it might work out. Uh, he lacks all the qualifications for what a judge in Israel, you know, is to be. And I mean that seriously. In 2 Chronicles 19, when King Jehoshaphat uh, is anointed judges, anointing judges, he reminds them of their responsibility. And here's what he says, and I, I quote the king here. He says, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. 
That's what a judge was to be. And, and yet twice in this, we, we hear that the judge confess himself and we hear Jesus describe him uh, as a man who does not respect God and, and as a man who does not respect man. He, in other words, he doesn't have a care in the world for what God says is right and he doesn't have a care in the world to actually help the people he's supposed to be helping. The second character in the parable is a widow. In Jewish society, widows were some of the most helpless people often cast aside. And in fact, when you look at a number of the Israel's laws, there are all sorts of laws that God set up uh, in order to protect and to provide for widows, and yet they were often still very helpless. Uh, we learn that she's been attacked by someone we don't know or, or wronged in some way. We don't know the details of it. Interesting, we're never told who did it, right? We don't know, is it a man who did this, a woman who did it? Was it a Jew who did it? Was it a Gentile who did it? We, we have no idea who did it. What we know is that what they did was wrong, and, and we don't know any of that stuff because she, she was done wrong by this adversary and this adversary has gotten away with it because the judge will not enforce justice. And so do you see the contrast between these two characters? The judge has a lot of power. The widow has none. The judge uh, is incredibly unjust and wrong and the widow is right. And so she keeps seeking over and over again, not revenge. She keeps seeking justice to be done against the individual who has wronged her and how she do it, she was incredibly annoying. That's what she does, right? That she's persistent, right? Um, <clears throat> so not many of you have met my mother. I know a few of you have. Um, she lives in Houston. Uh, her name is Vicki Sue Anderson, nice Scottish name, although I typically call her Tricky Vicky for reasons I can't even recall. Uh, she was born in Toledo, Ohio, and her father was 100% Scottish. Growing up, uh, knowing my grandfather, he helped me understand why there was this reputation for Scots people uh, as being frugal, or as the way my grandma, not Scottish, put it, that they were cheap. Um, when I was a kid, he actually taught me to make a baseball bat with his woodworking things. I think I was maybe seven, eight years old, and then he made me pay for the wood that we used for it, just to put this in some perspective. So anyway, like my grandfather, my mother has always been great at finding the best deals on anything at all. That, you know, she would figure out some way. The shirt is $50. She's going to get it for $10 somehow. I don't know. But um, So when she set out to buy a brand new Mazda Infinity many years ago, she did her research. She figured out, this is what I'm going to pay for the Mazda Infinity, not a penny more. This is, that's what I'm going to pay. Um, only the salesman kept telling her, listen, if I do that, if I take your price, I will lose money. Like, we will actually lose money. And, and my mom didn't seem to care about that or wasn't convinced he was being honest with her. And so she kept calling him and asking more questions and asking for that price. She kept showing into the dealership and asking to, to look at the car. Can I drive it again? Can I have it for this price? Uh, over and over again. And this went on again and again, day after day, for quite some time until eventually the salesman told her, he's just so beat down, he tells her, listen, I will sell you the car for the price you want. I just need you not to come in here anymore. You are wasting my time from other sales, other, other sales that it will save me money in the long time to just give you what you're asking for. My mother annoyed him into submission. And I'm kind of proud of her. So something similar is happening in this parable here. This, this widow is, is showing up. Like you hear it in just one line, but you've got to understand that it's happening over and over again. She's showing up and she's pleading for justice. I mean, can, can you imagine this? He's in court trying to do something and, and there's the widow, you know, shouting, a judge, give me justice. Give me justice, do the right thing. Or, or maybe he's in the market and he's buying some grain or whatever you buy in the market and, and there the widow shows up next to him. 
judge, give me, do the right thing. You owe me judges, justice. Give me the justice that is right. Or maybe he's trying to relax in his house at night and he can hear out his window, oh, there's, there's the widow shouting again, judge, do what's right, give me justice. The, the, the judge never starts fearing God. That's not what happens. The judge never starts respecting man. That's not what happens. But if you look what the judge says in verse 5, listen to this. And seriously, listen to this because Jesus says, hear what the judge says right after this. So just go ahead and do it now. Uh, The judge says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she does not beat me down by her continual coming. I'm so annoyed. Just fine. I don't even care. Just yes, you can have what you want. It just happens to be justice. Now, I, I always thought the word, you know, beat me down or beat down was a, was a modern slang term. It's not. It is a slang term, but it's an ancient Greek slang term. Uh, it literally means to strike someone under the eye, to give them a black eye, right? But, but it's being used as a metaphor here in the same way we typically use the phrase. Uh, and, and so then that brings us to the end of the parable. That's, that's it, right? But in verse 7, as, as a follow-up, Jesus asked two questions, mostly rhetorical, though, he, though he'll answer them. Uh, questions, and the first question is this. He says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Right, of course he will. That, that's the assumed answer right here. And, and second, will, will God not delay, or will God delay his justice for his elect? And, and the assumed answer is certainly he will not. And the obvious one that Jesus is going to say yeah, later is, yeah, yeah, not. That's not the case. And, 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 right, verse 8, you see it, right? God will give justice in, to his elect, and he will give it speedily. So, so, so what do we learn here? What's even the point of these questions? For starter, what we learn here is that, that God knows his people, and God loves his people. The, the promise to give justice is, is for God's elect people there, right? And that's not some word that's been added, anything, right? Um, it's, it's in the Greek for sure, elect, chosen, or elect, now, it is interesting, though, that, that Jesus makes this point about God and, and the character of the unrighteous judge here. Because, and I say it's interesting, really, because isn't the judge in the story how often people view God when they don't see justice? When, when they suffer things? Isn't that the way they view God, kind of like he's the unjust man who just doesn't care and won't give justice in the way that it should be? You know, when, when we see evil flourish. Listen, it's, it's intentional that Jesus makes this contrast. He, he wants you to see the two and compare who God is with, with who we see the judge is in this, in this parable. This wicked judge and, and God who is righteous. And the contrast makes the point. If an evil judge will eventually listen and give just, justice just because of a whole lot of prayer... You know, a guy who doesn't want to hear from the widow. How much more will your loving Heavenly Father give justice, right? Your Heavenly Father who does want to hear from you, who wants to know these pleas of yours. God is not like this judge who was annoyed by the request of the widow. I I don't know if we we appreciate this enough in our, our general life, that God actually wants to hear from us. He's asking to hear from us. And in fact, think of this. This is reality. God is far more willing to hear your prayers than you are to actually pray to him. It might, you might be the exception, but that's typically reality right there. 
So I don't want us to miss here either that the love of, the love of God that's conveyed in that word elect in verse 7. And again, yes, it's there in the Greek. God has chosen people in the world who are under his special fatherly care, unique and apart from, from the rest of creation, uh, rest of people made in God's image. <clears throat> um, if your faith is in Jesus, that's you, okay? Uh, the doctrine of election, though, then, then, then should actually stir up within us praise and, and thanksgiving from all true Christians. That, that's the way we should come to it. And, and, and the reason why is this, because, because you know in your own heart, you, you know your, your unspoken thoughts and, and, and unseen actions, you know yourself so well. And, and if you stop and you think about it and are honest about it, you, you just know that unless God has sovereignly chose you and, and called you and given you faith and redeemed you, unless God has done that for you, you, you know you never would have chosen God. You never would have gone to God. It's just not in me. That, that's why we should rejoice at a doctrine like election. You see, as a, Ephesians 1, 3 through 4 teaches us, God has chosen you in love before the foundations of the world. You, you were chosen in, in love. And, and so while the world might view this doctrine of election as, as unfair on some level, while, while that might be something that, that just, that they want to put God into judgment for themselves and, and let the people of God be, be filled with praise and gratitude for how God has chosen and redeemed you, a sinner, according to his own good pleasure. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's the love of God for you, and we can rejoice in that. And so the point of, of Jesus using the word elect in this passage, though, is, is to show us that this promise or who this promise of justice is for. It's not for everyone in the world, is it? That doesn't mean justice in general is not an important thing. God speaks about it all throughout the scriptures. But, but when he's talking here about justice, it's not for everyone in the world. It's for God's elect, for those who will suffer all sorts of injustice during the years between the ascension of Jesus and, and his triumphant return. We also learn here that God will bring about justice against his people in a speedily manner. All the persecution of, of governments, of other religions, um, attacks from individuals or groups on God's people will end with God's perfect justice. In other words, yeah, Stephen was stoned to death for his faith in Jesus. All around the world, even today, there are Christians being put to death for no other reason than they love Jesus. No other reason, and, and Jesus is saying justice will come for that. Now, he doesn't say it's going to be immediate. He says, never lose heart, and he says it's going to be speedily. Now, remember uh, what we're taught in 2 Peter 3.9 when, when it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, all of us see this and think, wow, that's taking a long time. You would expect it to be quicker. When, when God does bring justice, um, when he brings judgment on the last day, it's going to come swiftly it's going to become without the long lengthy trials that we've come to see when trying to see justice in our court system it's going to come without any partiality of any sort it's going to come without error it's going to be perfect and immediate justice because God knows everything and God himself is perfectly just 
And if you think God doesn't know a thing about injustice, consider the life of Christ and where he's going even at this moment as he's headed on his way to Israel. Uh, Jesus is God who is righteous. Jesus is man who is without sin. And yet he, he was not given a fair trial. He was, he was sentenced to death on a Roman cross. Even if we look at the wider, like, the, like the, the purpose of God in all of this, right, of the cross, Jesus is without sin. And yet there he hung and he died so that sinful men and women, so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin, could be counted righteous before God. And before Jesus died, while he was on the cross, he's praying to his Father, and he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. In in that prayer right there, Jesus is trusting God to bring justice, and when Jesus is is risen back to life, the the, the sins of God's elect are forgiven, our our debt is paid, our, our guilt is removed, and we see justice fulfilled in the redemption of our souls. Even in our forgiveness, God remains just. Because of the death of Christ. It was paid for. Now there's just one more thing to consider in this passage there at the end of verse 8. You you see what he says. Uh, Jesus says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's an interesting statement. In in other words, when when Jesus returns at his second coming, is he going to find people who have resisted the temptation to lose heart? Is he going to find People who are people of prayer. See, faith and prayer go hand in hand. For, for, for prayer is the sanctified habit of a redeemed and sanctified heart. And in one sense, the answer is obviously yes. Yes, he's going to find faith, right? When he returns, because the church is going to continue to exist. And so yes, yes, he will find faith. But on a deeper, on a more personal level that I want you to consider here... You know, that the the Lord is just leaving hanging there for all of us to consider here and to ponder is this. Will the Lord find faith in you when he returns? Will he find someone who has not lost heart despite the injustice that he or she experiences in life, the injustice that he or she observes in life? And so Christian, if we will not pray we've already lost heart we've already failed to believe that the God that hears us and cares about us and cares about the injustice we experience so remember the the application that Jesus told us in verse 1 uh, that we ought to always to pray and not lose heart and, and and so the first and most obvious application of this is what do you think pray yeah? You don't need me for that, do you? Um, to, to encourage that, first, I want us to remember, and I can't say this enough, but God does hear you. God does care, and he will bring about justice in his timing. Second, make time for prayer, seriously. I, I know that, that you do prayer. I know many of us pray at meals or at bedtimes. We, um, we pray in great times of fear or uncertainty, medical worries, whatever it might be. We we, we, we might tack on prayer at the end of our Bible or devotional readings in the mornings. Those, those are all great. Keep doing that. But I'd encourage you to also just set some time apart to meet with the Lord in prayer, to, to, to go deeper and, and, and more significant prayer. Um, you know, to just sit down with a, a cup of coffee and the scriptures and, and either pray silently in your head to the Lord or if it's not in a place where you're going to look crazy, pray out loud. Uh, or write your prayers if that's the way God has made you to kind of think through these things. Do that. 
Pray for your, your family and, and for this covenant community, for the pains and injustices that you see in the world. Pray for those, for, for missionaries, for children, for college students, for uh, your, your friends' marriages, for, for, the salvation of, for the salvation of those you know and care about. Um, the, the third encouragement towards prayer is this. Don't be afraid of not receiving the answer you desire in the timing you desire. Parents, ha- have you ever been afraid of praying for something with your children? Because you feared if, if, if it didn't work, right? If you're praying for a lost item or a pet or whatever it might be with them, you, you just feared if, if, if God didn't answer the prayer in the way that you were praying for it to be answered, you just kind of thought, this, this might discourage my child's faith. So I'll only pray things that I know are going to be sure. Don't do that. We need to pray boldly. God, God never asked you to manage his reputation. You're not his, his PR firm, right? What, what he has done you, and this is specifically for parents, and, well, anyone. What he has done is he's told you to pray. Bring your concerns to me. Bring your hurts and your sorrows. Bring all, this, all the stuff that weighs on your heart and, and, and weighs on you with anxiety. Bring it to him. And, and he tells us to teach our children to pray. And so our children need to learn how to pray boldly and to keep praying and to keep praying until we see God answer. Doesn't mean he's always going to answer the way we want, but to keep praying. Uh, the fourth one is this. I'd say this. Be- begin your days in prayer. And I don't say this legalistically so much as it's a wise thing to do. To start your day off in conversation with your Lord. To pray for the fears in your hearts, for others, for whatever is ahead in the day. Pray for, for peace when, when life is just overwhelming, and it probably is a lot right now. Uh, to, to pray for provision and protection and perseverance of your faith. Because when Jesus tells us to always pray, he, he, isn't, he isn't asking us. Like, we, don't, we don't pray to earn some merit. It's not pray and, and you get seven holy points, right? There, there's nothing like that. The, the fact that he tells us to pray is because, because prayer is a tool for living faithful lives. It's, it's a wonderful thing for us. Not something we do to earn something. And if we are to pray in the way that Jesus is most specifically speaking in this parable, we must pray for justice. For particularly justice for God's elect who are going to suffer great injustice as disciples of Christ, right? And so pray for missionaries that you may not even know who are living in dangerous lands just to, just to proclaim the gospel. Pray for our children who are growing up in a culture that often promotes tolerance of sin while at the same time teaching intolerance to many biblical truths. Pray, pray for Christians who suffer injustice everywhere, remembering that God is not like this judge. You, you don't need to beg. You don't need to annoy him. You don't need to convince him to do something he doesn't already want to do. You've been invited to do this. He wants you to pray and to pray often. Now, that's kind of the end. Now, I, I do want to say this, though. I, I know that right now it's, it's hard for us to even hear the word justice in this passage and, and not have our minds immediately go to, to Black Lives Matter and this national crying out for justice that we're seeing right now. If I'm honest, at, at one point in my notes, uh, even as recent as yesterday, I had planned to address racism or what the scriptures call partiality. I had planned to discuss critical race theory and social justice. And, and then after seeking some counsel, I just cut it out completely because, well, two reasons. First reason is this. That's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. It's just not. The, the word's there, but it's justice applied to a different area. 
And I want us to be faithful to let God's word speak to us so that we're learning what Jesus wants to teach us here in this passage, namely to always pray and to not lose heart. And, and the second reason is because I myself am still in the process of learning these things. I am still in my process uh, of learning to view all these injustices that we see in the world through the lens of Scripture in a way that honors God, in a way that is, that is absolutely through the lens of Scripture. I, I'm still learning that. And so it would be incredibly unwise for, for me to preach on that while so early in this process, though I, I will say this, these are things going on in the world, and if there are things you would like to discuss, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to sit down and, and to wrestle through these with you, to, to start learning how do, how do we approach this, how do we care in, in the way that God would have us to care in, in His Word. Um, so let me just say only this, that when you look at the world, do you see injustice? Not even the news. When you just look at the world, do you see injustice? And I know you do. So pray. I wonder how many of us have actually taken time to, to pray about justice even in the world. And so uh, pray to the Lord to, regarding all the injustice that you observe. And don't lose heart. In everything in life, Christian brothers and sisters, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep going to the Lord who invites you, who longs for you to come and to speak to him and pour out your heart to him. Um, let's pray. Father, it is a wonderful and mysterious thing that we can come to you in prayer and know that you hear us and know that you want us to do this very thing. Please fill us with the desire to bring to you in prayer all of our problems, all of our fears, all the injustices we suffer or witness, all the needs we have, that we would come to you in prayer with everything and know that you hear us and know that you will work for our good. Come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.